you may be checking a whole lot of boxes in the achievement column. But what was the journey like? Was the journey fulfilling? Was the journey satisfying? Was the journey expansive and abundant? Or did it feel like a grind? Did it feel like you were literally just checking a box? Because I would argue that that's not the way that you're going to look back on life and say, oh yeah, that's the way I wanted to live. Like, it's not about checking boxes. It's really about moment by moment, how did I feel? That's how I really wanna teach people to measure the quality of their life, not by the material things Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of Zivli. As a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the heartbreaking effects of insulin resistance. At Zivli, our mission is to help you prevent and reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention through a low insulin and inflammation lifestyle. Each week on this podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable tips to lose weight, keep it off, and get healthy. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and today we're talking about a very hot topic, and that is how to create more self-control. You know that we're all about improving your health, getting to and maintaining a healthy weight, and there's just no way around it that you have to develop self-control um, mental fitness, that self-discipline to get there. So I'm really excited for today's conversation. Our guest is Tracy Plushcourt, and she is the founder of Self-Made You and the host of the Secrets of the Self-Made podcast. She helps men and women achieve their goals and solve all sorts of problems, whether that be in their careers or their relationships um, or their health and wellness fast by developing, you guessed it, self-control. So Tracy, I'm really excited for this conversation. Just give us a quick rundown of how you got into this field. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. I am a life and mental fitness coach, and I now coach people who are struggling with a lot of the same things that I struggled with. So I had a 20-year career in the world of advertising And although it was so fun and exciting and kind of sexy to be in that industry, I worked really long hours. I came home every night with pretty intense levels of stress. I had thoughts like I need to take the edge off. And so I was pouring the glass of wine night after night after night. And I felt very out of control. Like I couldn't control the problems that I had in my life. And those problems really started to create some momentum and started to kind of compound on one another. And before I knew it, I had relationship issues. I had overeating issues, over drinking issues. And so I really set out to discover, you know, what was the root cause of these problems? And as a certified life coach and mental fitness coach, I understand what the root cause is. It absolutely is the way that you're feeling and you come to your feelings through the thoughts that you are either unintentionally or intentionally thinking. And so it really does come back to the level of your mind. And um, so I've developed a lot of programs very specifically on the topics, on the areas of transformation 
that I have overcome. I consider myself an expert in those areas. And I developed a system that you can apply in unlimited areas. But I really, really love talking about the ones that it helped me most in, like overeating and over drinking and, um, and healing some relationships. Yeah. So you've brought up the word mental fitness a couple of times. I thought that was pretty cute and mm-hmm. clever, but there's a difference between mental health and mental fitness. And I just wanted to start the conversation there. Can you just kind of contrast those two terms so that we're all, we're all on the same page as to what we're talking about here? Right. So, you know, if we're thinking about our physical health and we're wanting to improve it, you're most of the time going to find some sort of fitness regimen or some protocol that you're going to need to follow a system. And that is what is actually going to have you applying with consistency, some sort of strength building techniques. And it's really no different when we're talking about our mental health that we need to apply with some sort of consistency, a system, a protocol where we're actually practicing strengthening our mind. And so, you know, I think it's interesting. We we absolutely capture the attention of people when we talk about mental, mental health. I think a lot of times the, the, image that's conjured up is, you know, something in relation to poor mental health. We're not talking about mental health in, you know, positive terms. And I want people to really recognize that your mental health, not unlike your physical health, can be improved with a fitness, you know, commitment. And so I like to talk about it like that. And so mental fitness is Really, what I'm all about is strengthening the part of our mind that has us acting in a very intentional way. It has us thinking in an intentional way. It has us feeling or experiencing emotions in a very intentional way. No longer are we just living on autopilot and allowing, you know, life to unfold. That does not really create a, you know, a high quality, optimal way of living. And so, and I really want to teach people not only how to overcome problems or challenges that they've been experiencing, but go after some of those deep, deep desires that you never thought were possible for you. But when you have strong mental fitness protocols and practices, and you are actively strengthening the part of your brain that has you intention, acting with intention, you absolutely can decide what it is that you want to create from your life and go after it. And so it was important to me. I I tell my clients all the time, I have a little peanut brain. So my brain is not a vault (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. It is a processor. And so I love to use acronyms. I love to use tools that help me learn, help me remember. So I'm all about frameworks. So Mm -hmm. I've created a system that you can kind of think of as having in your back pocket and every single challenge, obstacle, or goal that you want to go after, you just pull this system out. It's inherent within you. Just most people don't know that they have the ability to access it. No, I think that's great. And one thing that comes to my mind is I've really dug into this mindset stuff over the last two, two and a half years. 
Um, I think it does take a lot of people to get to a breaking point of sorts before they say, what am I doing wrong? Um, and for me, it was a breaking sorts in our, in my, my marriage. I mean, we just had a newborn, it was COVID. I was running a business and I was not showing up as the wife that I wanted to, I was not showing up as the human being that I wanted to. And, um, I had to do some deep self work, like, and I realized, you know, I am in control. I am in control of my thoughts if I choose to be. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that I was letting my external circumstances and like dictate my internal state. Right. The kid was crying. I was upset. You know, if my husband didn't unload the dishwasher, I was disappointed. All of these external things started affecting me internally, but it really started to shift for me when I started doing my own daily mindset routine. And when I realized, nope, nope, I can let my internal state drive my external state. Yeah. And that is so, so powerful. And so I wanted to ask you this question, like, what is the difference between that self-control that I just explained and then trying to control something? Right. So it's so interesting because so many people think that, you know, once I hit this level of success or, you know, I, you know, finally achieve this promotion at work, then I'll be happy. They think it's like, if and when this happens, then I'll be happy. And to your point, it's you have to learn how to be happy in order to manifest what it is that you want. That is a complete reverse. If you're operating from what I like to call your prodigy brain, that starts to come natural. That when you're really using the system to create a sense of self-control, that's exactly what happens. You create self-control and that manifests what it is that you so deeply desire. So Self-control is more of a self-reliance. It's almost like, you know, you're going to take credit. You're going to take responsibility for all of your results because you now know how. There is no more, you know, pointing the finger, you know, extending blame outside of you. You now know that you have the capability, the capacity to create whatever it is from your life. Utilizing this system immediately gives you a sense of self-control. So it's really, you know, the power to influence your own outcomes versus trying to influence, trying to white knuckle and control things that most of us really can't control, like other people, like Mm -hmm. the number on the scale, you know, in that very moment. We have, we step on the scale and we're like, oh my God, how did I gain 20 pounds? And, you know, and then you go into this self-loathing beatdown and you decide what it is that you're going to do, how you're going to show up from this self-loathing state that is not going to create any sort of sustainable results. It's really important that you understand that you know, we need to feel in control to then get the results that we want, Mm -hmm. not wait for the result that we want so that we can feel in control or happy. So yeah, the difference between self-control and just control is it really is distinguished by who and what (laughs) you're trying to control, right? Mm -hmm. 
who and what it is that you're trying to influence and, and the outcomes. Um, so yeah, I like to use self understanding yourself, the acronym self S E L F to really teach a system where people feel like, okay, this is totally different than anything I was ever taught in school. Like, you know, I think arguably most of us would agree that we were, we were taught what to think in school, right? We were, we, a lot of us became very book smart. We weren't taught how to think. Mm -hmm. And if you're somebody that's really struggling with, you know, a lack of self-worth or, you know, you, whatever feeling, yeah, anything, loneliness, depression, like shame, shame, embarrassment, any negative feeling emotion is a sign that there's work to do. And it's just, it's so powerful. I, I hope that people listening really understand that this is coming from a place of integrity, I think out of both of our parts and to not wait to be happy until you achieve a certain metric. Like I have metrics that I'm going after. Absolutely. But every day I read those metrics to myself and every day they lose just a little bit of power. And I'm really happy about that because I'm realizing like, "Hmm, I'll get there someday. And when I do, I'm not going to feel any different than I do today. So exactly. However I feel today is how I'm going to feel on that day whenever I hit that number. And I think, you know, it's so true because if you look at like, I I use the example of like 200 pounds, you know, for someone that might be like a a goal weight of theirs, right? Other people, they might look at that number and have a heart attack. Like the number has the only power behind a number is the meaning that you give it. And so recognizing we have the power. The number does not have the power. That's exactly Um, right. It's the way you're choosing to think about it. And when I say choosing, I always like to do the air quotes because sometimes that's an unintentional choice, right? Mm -hmm. Our primitive brain, the part of our brain that's meant to keep us alive or meant to keep us safe, that kicks in and it often provides us a lot of fear-based thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, and that's so unintentional, but we don't know any better because we've never been taught how to think. And so we just react to that thought. And then that starts the unraveling, the unfolding of our day that then creates the results. And often in retrospect, we're looking back and going, oh my God, you know, how many years did I live with this shame? And, you know, that is, that shame is probably the root of your health, whether, you know, you're metabolically unfit or you, you know, you're struggling with chronic disease, type two diabetes, you're overweight, whatever it is, it's often due the root cause is often due to the fact that you've been feeling a way, behaving from that way, because you didn't know how to think any different. You didn't know how to choose thoughts that felt better. Nobody teaches us that. Yeah, not in school. I like to say you can't create a positive outcome from a negative mindset. Like right. it's against the law of attraction. I've talked about that before, but I wanted you to explain the, the primitive brain and the prodigy brain, because you've mentioned that, but let's go ahead and highlight some, some key differences there. Yeah. So it all starts with understanding yourself, right? We all have that three pound organ that resides in between our ears called our brain. And I like to kind of think of it like you split it down the middle, you have the right side, you have the left side. And the left side is the primitive brain. It is meant to keep us safe. 
it does offer us in an attempt to keep us safe, to keep us alive. It does offer us a lot of fear-based thoughts and those thoughts we typically react to. So because we're not in a whole lot of danger, like we were when we were in a primitive state, we tend to sabotage ourselves. Now, if we are in danger, we definitely want to have those kind of thoughts. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that the primitive brain is evil in any sort of way. It actually is, you know, God created it, God designed it to keep us safe. But when we're not in any danger and we listen to that and we react from that, we tend to sabotage ourselves. We tend to sabotage the results that we really want. Whereas if you're operating from your prodigy brain, doctors would call it your prefrontal cortex, that's the part of your brain where you can be intentional. You can decide what type of result it is that you want to get. You decide what it is, how you want to be feeling and what it is that you're going to think that drives that feeling. So two very different parts of our brain. One is has very well established neural pathways. And so we, by default, feel like we're just operating on autopilot. Now, that's a good thing when it comes to breathing, right? We don't want to have to think about that. It is on autopilot. So it's a good thing, but we also really want to be a little bit more intentional when we're walking through the kitchen, passing that plate of cookies, right? We don't want to be on autopilot. We don't want to be eating against our will. Maybe we have a weight loss goal. And before we even know it, we've put three cookies down our throat. It's like, well, that's because we have a thought that's very subconscious. We don't even know we're thinking it. That sounds like that looks good. I must have that. If I don't eat it now, it won't be here later. Right. And then you react react. and you eat it very quickly. And now we're standing here talking about it five minutes later. And it's like, how in the heck did that just happen? It's not because you're broken. It's not because you're, you know, pre predisposed to um, being overweight or, you know, your family's big bone. It has nothing to do with that. All of this can be solved at the level of your mind when you are taught how to think. And so we just don't want to operate on autopilot and we don't want to succumb to those well driven neural pathways, we actually want to replace them. So it all starts with an awareness, like an awareness first and foremost, that you have a brain that's operating the way that it's meant to. You're not meant to react to those fear-based thoughts. We want to use those fear-based thoughts, those, those unwanted feelings to trigger us to shift and start operating from our prodigy brain. So we want the feeling, even if it's an unwanted feeling like shame or judgment or you know, um, despair, whatever the unwanted feeling is, it's still a gift because it is alerting us that there's work to be done. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so, you know, and with your example during COVID, You're like, you know, it was really, it took that time, that circumstance for me to really understand the power of mindset. Well, that's true for a lot of my clients. It really takes an application, a necessary application for them to really apply this, to learn this for themselves. That's why, you know, most of us have bookshelves full of self-help books, but yet we're still sitting here 
suffering from the same problems. It's because insight is only 20% of sustainable change. Application is the other 80%. So you have to understand it first and foremost. And I love to provide that education, but what I love even more is coming alongside of my clients and helping them apply what it is that they now know. So now they know they have, you know, two parts to their brain and that there's one part that they operate by default. It almost feels automatic with that awareness, things will shift. Mm -hmm. Just that awareness. And I was thinking too, the importance of acting from the prodigy brain or that that frontal cortex where we have, we're mindful, we're being conscientious of our decisions. I think it's also really important in our relationships, our work relationships, our home relationships, our spouse, our children, because a lot of the emotional eating tendencies come from disruptions in the relationship, come from anger, come from disappointment. And so I think it's not only a case of being mindful when food is present, it's being mindful all the time. And right. a great example from this yesterday is my, we, do you know what Runza is? You probably don't No, It's a fast food restaurant oh. and it's one of the only ones that I like, and it's kind of right on the corner on the road to our house. And my daughter loves it. And my son loves it. And yesterday my daughter was like, when can we go to Runza again? And she said it loud for like 10 minutes in the car. <laughs> and I, I calmly asked, I'm like, Leah, can you please stop asking me? Leah, can you please stop yelling? And then Dawson was like, Leah, be quiet. You know, and it's like, so what is what does my primitive brain want to do? My primitive brain thinks my daughter is yelling, something's wrong, there's danger, or um this is wrong. Yeah, super yeah. annoying, you know? And it's like, okay, so then I was mindful of the of the of the situation. I'm so grateful for my daughter. I'm not taking her to Runza for a while because evidently she likes it too much what are my choices in this moment? Asking myself, what are my choices? I can choose to ignore her because she's not hurting anyone. She's expressing her opinion. That's her truth. She wants Renza. I don't have to respond to that. I can choose to ignore it. And I can also choose to teach my son to ignore it. And so that's what we did. I said, Dawson, let's pretend like there's a wall between us and Leah and let's just let her do her thing. And we can be quiet and not egg her on. We made it home. And I did not emotionally eat because I didn't get worked up. Right. And so it's, it's a matter of not getting worked up because of what someone else is doing, because you getting angry, you getting upset, you getting those emotions will drive emotional eating. So I think that's a huge part of this conversation is how do we develop that internal calm that right. I think equanimity is, is a word for it when our external circumstances are just like a three-year-old yelling at the back seat. When can we have runs again? Right. So, that's one really practical example and something I want people to keep in mind throughout this conversation. This is not strictly about food. This is about every single relationship, every single choice that you have during your day that has the opportunity to help you grow or to set you off. And we want to help, we want to choose that growth path. So right. with all of that, oh, go ahead. And Well, that was such a beautiful example of kind of intercepting before things really unfolded into results that you didn't like, right? Like, and they could be significant and they might be insignificant, but it doesn't matter if you're the one feeling the regret or the shame in 10 minutes, you know, we want to do better next time. So we want to at least learn from that. And so, Mm -hmm. but you intercepted it in the moment you allowed that maybe that frustration or that Mm -hmm. angst to just kind of alert you that, okay, 
hold on, there's work to be done here. Like, I don't want to feel like this. We're not doing this for any other reason. We're not doing this to win the mom of the year award. We're doing this because we want to feel like we want to feel something, even if it's neutral, like we don't have to feel like we're sliding down rainbows every moment of every day, (laughs) but we don't want to be feeling any sort of unwanted feelings for too terribly long. And we certainly want to not let them, we don't want to react from them. So I'm not suggesting that unwanted feelings, you know, need to be changed immediately there. You know, if somebody dies, we want to feel grief, Right. right? If you lose your job, you of course want to feel disappointed. So I'm not suggesting that negative feelings or unwanted feelings need to be changed immediately. You always have a choice. But if you start to see that, you know, negative feelings are driving behaviors and creating results that you don't like, or you can kind of forecast where that's going to go, you know, how that story ends as we're driving down the road with the kids in the backseat. Like you then probably want to intercept it and you have the tools as insignificant of a circumstance as that sounded, you did a great job because only from your prodigy brain, can you tap into empathy? Can you tap into innovation? So you, you tapped into innovation and you're like, okay, well, let's play this little game. Let's pretend like there's a wall up. Like, that's perfect. Like, and you also have that ability to kind of sit back and look at the bigger picture. Like she's just her truth, right? She's not trying to hurt your feelings. She's not trying to, you know, get you riled up. She's simply saying her truth. And so being able to kind of step back and really kind of discover and explore, like, what are all the factors here Mm -hmm. instead of reacting, right? You're, you're actually responding, which is a much better place to be operating from responding versus reacting. And it unfolds in the way that it unfolded for you. So that was a beautiful example. Responding versus reacting is important. I think another thing from a conversation with someone recently who was upset by someone else and what they said, and we were talking on the phone and I said, well, it's, it's your fault that you're upset. I was very blunt. And this was not a member. I'm I'm not that blunt with members. Uh, mm-hmm. And I said, well, if you didn't have the expectation for them to behave in a certain way, you wouldn't be upset. Mm-hmm. Your expectation of how they should or should not behave, what they should or should not say is what led to you being upset. Right. And so she's like, yeah, you're right. Because their issue, what they said was initially the issue but now my response to that issue is now the issue. And so now she had to go apologize to people. So it's like, don't let your response become the issue. Right. Yeah. Sub things as they are, like you said, take a step back, be mindful, see the big picture, recognize one thing that helped me in the moment was just thinking that this whole life is just like one wave after the other. There's always waves that come. There's waves that go. There's waves that come. There's waves that go. This was just a wave and it was going to go. That's fine. But if I would have freaked out and I would have yelled at her, be quiet, Leah, or if I would have slammed on my brakes and pulled the car over and turned around and yelled at her, what does that teach her? That teaches her to not speak her truth. That teaches my son that that's an appropriate way to react. That just, that is not how I want to show up as a mom. So this skill has been so valuable to me as a mom to retain more of my personal power so that when I show up at home, I'm not in a bad mood Right, right. <laughs> from, from the card. Anyways, I just, I know that that's kind of a little tangent, but I wanted to bring it really down to earth for people 
to, to tell them, listen up, because what you're about to share is super important. So let's get into this kind of self-control framework that you've developed. Like what are those for, what does that acronym stand for? Yeah. So again, the acronym is self S E L F. And I'm really a proponent of helping people understand themselves. Like it really does. It serves as a wonderful acronym, but it really does have deeper meaning than that. This is all about you. Like truly understanding your mental and emotional health and what it is that you can do to consistently strengthen that so that you live a higher quality of life, a more optimal life. So the S stands for self-coaching. Learn to self-coach. Now, some people will say that's an art form. Some people say it's a skill or it's a science. And I think it's a little bit of both. Um, It really means just asking yourself questions, questioning, like you don't do that from your primitive brain. We get so riled up and so reactive that it's very difficult to actually think with any sort of intention. So asking yourself questions requires you to be operating from your prodigy brain. So the first step is like having that awareness, like what's the What's the alert? What's the alarm? What is going to trip your trigger? An unwanted feeling. So you're feeling frustration or angst or depressed or exhausted or burnt out, frustrated, whatever it is, that is your sign. So really heightening your awareness around unwanted feelings. And how do I do that? Like I, I tell people set an alarm on your phone, look for the white space on your calendar, set your phone alarm and get really good at asking yourself, how am I feeling right now? I like that. How am I feeling? Like, even if you do it, you know, you can, if you only can do it one time a day, it's so interesting. A lot of people can't even name it. And so just really yeah. start to expand your vocabulary on totally. emotions. But then the sec- the next step is asking yourself, why am I feeling that way? Now that's a question. That's you self-coaching. You're asking yourself, why am I feeling this way? The answer to that is the thought. It's the thought that's running through your brain. We want to know like, which part of our brain are we operating from? If it feels like a more, you know, a fear-based feeling or thought, or you're, you're experiencing a fear-based feeling, or if you're feeling a feel something that feels more like love, it's going to be clear to you, which part of your brain you're operating from, but you want to know what's the cause of that feeling. A hundred percent of the time, it's always going to be a thought. We want to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. The more you can connect the dots between what you're thinking and how you're feeling, you are going to start operating very organically in a much different way, much different way. So self-coaching is the S does not have to take a lot of time. You can do it in the moment. I like to, I like to um, teach my clients how to actually do it pen to paper, but um, because then you see in black and white, like oh, I was thinking this, which made me feel this way, which had me showing up, doing this, creating this result. So it literally looks like a math equation. So I call it solving the mind math. And I have a little formula totally free on my website with a video lesson on how to actually use that tool, that mind math tool. 
But when you see it in black and white, you can't argue it. It's so different than me telling you right now that your thoughts create your feelings, which have you showing up, creating your results. Like that's going to go in one ear and out the other. But when it's your personal experience, very hard to argue that that's not true. And so I really like my clients to take a little bit of time and build the belief, build the evidence that that's really how your brain operates. That's how you're really going to get to know yourself. So self-coaching, asking yourself questions. The E stands for eliminating obstacles. Okay. Sounds so simple, (laughs) but we often don't do it. We don't eliminate the obstacles that we can see, the really obvious ones. I like to use the example of invitations to happy hours. Okay. When I was over drinking, I would get, inevitably, I would get an invitation to a happy hour and everything in my body would wish that that invitation didn't come in. And then I would have all of these saboteur narratives that, you know, I'm never going to be able to go and not drink. What are other people going to think? This is going to be hard. It's not fair that I can't drink. How come everybody else can drink? I mean, I could go on for days with all of the saboteur primitive brain narratives that I was listening to. When in reality, eliminating the obstacle by just declining the invitation Mm. would have made my life so much easier at the time. Mm. My prodigy brain was not strong enough. My primitive brain was running the show. Right. It was so much stronger. So again, back to that mental fitness, I want to fight a muscle with a muscle. So my primitive brain was much stronger. Those saboteur narratives were like, loud and proud. They were screaming at me. So it would have been so much easier if I would have just eliminated the obstacle of going to the happy hour. But instead I was like, nope, it's got to be way harder than that. That's too easy. And so then I would go and I'd white knuckle my way through it. And ultimately I would succumb. And then I would go into the self-loathing beat down for the next, you know, few days. So that's a great example. It sounds so simple. And a lot of people maybe who are struggling with overdrinking are like, it's got to be much, it, there's more to it than that. There is, but I'm just saying, I want you to start looking at the obstacles that are getting in the way of what it is that you most want and eliminate them. Mm-hmm. Eliminate the ones, especially the ones that are really obvious like that. Now there's going to be some other obstacles that aren't so obvious. And that looks like those primitive brain narratives. Mm -hmm. And our primitive brain narrative often sounds very judgmental. That's kind of the universal saboteur is the judge. It's either judging you, judging the other people in your life, or judging circumstances. It's very universal. We're often judging. So you want to heighten your awareness around which saboteur narratives am I most likely to be hearing? What are the ones that I operate? What are the ones that are most prominent in my life? And there's 10. I also have a saboteur assessment that's totally free on my website. So if you're curious of which one is most prominent in your life, it's so good to know because now you can be on the lookout for it. You know what those sneaky little thoughts are that are whispering to you. Like, so for mine, I am a hyper achiever. So I always have thoughts like, you're doing it wrong. 
or there's always room for improvement, or if I don't succeed, I'm a failure, or I have to be the best at this. So that would keep me like overlooking some of the simple obstacles that I could eliminate because I always thought it had to be harder, right? It's just anything worth achieving is probably going to be hard. No pain, no gain. Like that's a lot of hyperachievers hear that. Um, so that's the, that's the saboteur narrative that really had a hold on me along with the judge. But knowing that allows you to limit how, or at least turn down the volume. So first is self-coaching is the S and eliminating the obstacles, the ones you can and cannot see. The L is leveraging those prodigy brain strengths. So again, there are strengths that are only afforded to you. You you only have access to them through your prodigy brain. That looks like empathy. That looks like discovery or exploration, innovation, innovation. Three beautiful strengths that you demonstrated right. in on the, in that car. Um, navigation, like being able to navigate from a place that you can like say this is really steeped in my values. Like I value um, inclusion. I value generosity. So when I'm at a crossroads, I always want to make decisions from my values. That's only afforded to me if I'm operating from my prodigy brain. So being able to navigate from a place of value. And then lastly, activate. Taking like very quick, clear, decisive um, responses. And knowing that you're either going to learn from that experience or you're going to get closer to what it is that you want. I love to teach people how to assess every effort that they put forth, like 10x every effort, every amount of energy that you put out there, constantly assess, ask yourself what worked, what didn't work, what am I going to do different? That's what it looks like to to activate from your prodigy brain. Again, it's a skill, it's a strength that's only afforded to you when you're operating from that prefrontal cortex from your prodigy brain. So Leveraging those prodigy brain strengths is the L. And then forging intentional results is the F. You want to make sure that you are utilizing best practices. So we have a program um, through Self-Made You called Self-Made Mind and Body. And it's all about metabolic health. I believe that the best practices of becoming metabolically fit looks like, you know, managing your blood glucose, managing your insulin. Um, there's best practices to doing that. So we teach those. So whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, I want you to go out and understand what are the best practices. And I want you to be intentional about that. I want my students to be intentional about self-coaching every single day so that they're proactively setting up their day to maximize it. We had a big group coaching call this morning And I asked people, I I said, on a scale from one to four, like how true is this statement for you? And what I asked them was, or told them, today is a good day. And I am on the lookout for all of the things that are going to prove that true. Like, how much do you believe that? Like asking yourself those kind of questions to really start off your day or to really kind of do that 
brain dump and clearing out everything that you're thinking, understanding what it is that you're feeling, like that's what it looks like to forge intentional results. You're being intentional. You're not just like getting up and just throwing caution to the wind. It's it's being really intentional, forging those intentional results, being it become an intentional person. That's what I think it means to be self-made. So that's how self-made you was birthed, was really learning how to take responsibility, take credit for the results in your life. Be intentional, model that behavior for those around you. We are living in a world right now that is so polarized and full of blame. I want people to be intentional. I want them to be proactive, forge these intentional results, take responsibility for the results in your life. And everything will change all relationships, your health and wellness, you know, the leadership, the recognition, the acknowledgement, um, all of your esteem needs. And then working your way up to self-actualization, which is what most people are in pursuit of. And, you know, that's really kind of living out your purpose. And, but you got to be able to systematically kind of work your way there. And it starts with intention. So that's great. That's a great explanation. I have a couple, I wish that we could probably dive way into the, you know, the 10 common saboteur thoughts, but Maybe we can get there. I know that there's the assessment, but I wanted to talk about what gets in the way of people doing this. And one of the talking points for today was how our basic needs can prevent this whole process. So will you touch on that? And then anything else that comes to mind as to why are people resistant to this? And I can speak from my own experience that I wasn't necessarily resistant. I just didn't know about it. Like when I started delving into this mindset stuff. Um, I wasn't resistant because I was like, well, what's the worst case scenario? Like I'm literally living my worst case scenario. So if I do nothing, I know that nothing changes. But from your experience, what big resistance do you encounter? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that question because um, I, a lot of my clients will say, yeah, you know, I can, I can relate to you. I too kind of operate with that hyperachiever, you know, sabotage narrative. And, but they're like, but that's what got me to where I'm at. That's why, you know, I'm so accomplished. So there's like this justification lie going on. And here's what I want to offer. You may be checking a whole lot of boxes in the achievement column, but what was the journey like? Was the journey fulfilling? Was the journey satisfying? Was the journey expansive and abundant? Or did it feel like a grind? Did it feel like you were literally just checking a box? Because I would argue that that's not the way that you're going to look back on life and say, oh, yeah, that's the way I wanted to live. Like, it's not about checking boxes. It's really about moment by moment. How did I feel? That's how I really want to teach people to measure the quality of their life, not by the material things that they have created, not by the list of achievements or the boxes that they've checked. It's literally, how are you feeling moment by moment by moment? Because satisfied is a great feeling. Curious 
is awesome. Like it feels so expansive, but you know, that's lost on a lot of us and we don't know any better. We think that, you know, being driven and trying to like willpower our way through it, you know, it gets us there. So it's good that I'm this hyper achiever. No, it's not because should you ever have to repeat that? You know, I have people that go through my program and, you know, they aren't solving the problem at the level of their mind. They're solving the problem on a checklist. And so they don't have a sustainable weight loss. They regain. But you know what? The beauty of that is, is that now they have the contrast. They right. have contrast. They're going to clearly see that when you are just checking boxes, this is the result you get. But when you're operating with intention and you're operating from a place of control and satisfaction and joy, and you're, you're enjoying the journey, you're all about like, yeah, let's saddle up. We'll do it again. Yep. But if it wasn't a joyful journey at the beginning, you're definitely not going to want to do it again. Right. And so, yeah. so that's what I mean when I talk about sustainable change, like a lot of people have all sorts of accolades and they can say, I've checked all these boxes. I would question, you know, if you've been operating from your primitive brain and it's like, it has to be good, you know, or you're going to feel unworthy. You're attaching your worth to your achievements. That's really no way. That's not a sustainable journey. That's not a journey you're really going to want to engage in again because it didn't feel good. So, um, yeah, I would say that, you know, recognizing that those saboteur narratives are there and we have been operating from them for so long. I turned 50 this year. And so the you know majority of my life, I have been listening to that saboteur narrative that says, you know, you're doing it wrong. And even though I have all sorts of things that, you know, if I really would have questioned that, I could have eliminated so much unnecessary suffering. Those are all lies. Right. And I was lying to myself. I was believing that I needed that saboteur to live from. No, I don't. No, I don't. And so the justification lies are often what I hear. You know, that's what got me here. No, that's not true. Um, and then I would say, you know, like I said, we are motivated by meeting needs. I'm always going like this because I always think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. I have that visual in my head because yeah. I'm such a framework person. But, um, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it starts with your physiological needs. So it's, it looks like health. It looks like, you know, mental, emotional, physical health, well-being, um, safety, security, um, you know, shelter, warmth, food, nutrition. Then you can, once those needs are met, and now you're going to be motivated to move up on that hierarchy. And so then you get to more like money, you know, more of the security needs like money or um, certain job titles, you know, um, maybe leadership positions, things like that. Um, relationships, security and relationships, connections. And then the next run, once you meet those needs, now you're kind of moving up into the esteem needs, you know, kind of, you know maybe legacy, things that you've created. And from there, you get to the self-actualization. 
And that's what most of us are in pursuit of. It's really self-actualization just really kind of means like living out your purpose, Mm -hmm. but you can't get there unless you've met the needs, these lower needs, unless you're motivated by meeting those needs, can you ever get to that top rung of impact? I like to think of it as impacting other people's lives. Like that's my purpose. And so I want to stay there. I want to continue in that pursuit of becoming self-actualized, or I like to call it self-made. So, and it just looks like impacting other people's lives. But what does that tell me? The reverse architecture of that, like tells me that I got to make sure that those other needs are consistently met. Mm -hmm. Well, that takes me right back to being really intentional. If I want to stay in this place where I'm really living out my purpose and impacting other people's lives, I got to be intentional about meeting those other needs. And Mm -hmm. so it really is a system that, you know, I teach people, I live by, I use myself as an example all the time. I'm certainly not perfect. I have primitive brain narratives all the time, but I don't make that mean that I'm broken. I use that to my advantage. I I use that as the at bat to take practice, to practice my craft of self-coaching, eliminating the obstacles, leveraging those prodigy brain strengths, forging intentional results. Every single circumstance that I come up against that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling something unwanted. That's my at bat, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I get the practice. And without the context of feeling unhappy, I would never know what happiness feels like. So I also am very appreciative of those experiences. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I think that I, I think one thing that really stood out to me so far, I have a comment and kind of a question. So my comment is I'm reading a book right now. I don't know who said this quote, um, but they said, you know, there is no way to peace and happiness. Peace and happiness is the way. Yeah. Like that's kind of this conversation in a nutshell. It the is. The second thing was you said your self-saboteur thoughts masked obstacles. I think that's a really important thing to not overlook. And I wanted to dig into a couple of examples, maybe from your own life about, because my number one strength on the Clifton's, you know, strength finder very consistently is learner and achiever. Um, depends on the time of year and focus is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. So my guess is I can relate to these a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. How did those mask obstacles maybe along your journey to stop overeating or to to, to stop over drinking? Yeah. So the, the saboteurs that I'm most familiar with, the 10 of them is, um, well, the judge is the one that's very universal. I I have not had a client who doesn't hear the, I always call it like judgy wudgy where you're judging other people and their ability on their performance. You're measuring them up against what you think they should be doing. Um, It sounds like a lot of shoulds, a lot of absolutes. And so, you know, you're often utilizing kind of cultural norms and messaging and, you know, unwillingly, you don't, you don't even recognize that you're doing this because you've been raised in that world, in that bubble. So um, understanding like, what does that judge sound like? So that when you go to you know, conquer a challenge like overeating, or you're really wanting to achieve the goal of weight loss, you know that that judge is going to show up. That judge is going to show up and say, 
you know, it's got to be harder than this. It can't just be, you know, eliminating sugar and flour. It couldn't possibly be that easy. Like understanding what those narratives sound like, um, first and foremost, because you are going to have plenty of obstacles. You are going to feel uncomfortable. Your brain, your primitive brain, those saboteurs are going to tell you that that means something has gone wrong. When in reality, the uncomfortable is a new way of operating. That should actually tell you a completely different message that you're actually on the right track. Mm-hmm. If you always, if one plus two has always created three, then we know that to be true. We need to do something different if we want to get a different result, right? So it's just really heightening our awareness around what those narratives sound like. Um, they are quite convincing. They have lots of justification lies. Um, when, you know, the, the one that I always laugh at is, you know, it's if you don't eat the plate of cookies right now, it's not going to be here later. Like how many of us think that? And when in reality, like if you're somebody who's just really learning to make decisions ahead of time, like there's nothing that I have to eliminate. Mm-hmm. I just want to make a decision about when it is that I'm going to eat it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I teach my clients to decide like how much time they're going to put in between their meals so that they can balance out their insulin levels. So that really, it takes intention, but the primitive brain wants to offer that lie that if you don't eat it now, it's not going to ever be available again. Like, it's so funny how we actually think that. And in reality, like cookies are available to you 24 seven, like you have access to them. There's, you know, that whole restriction or deprivation when you're on a diet is telling you like, you can't have something, you must eat it now, or it's going to be taken away from you. Not true. Mm-hmm. Not true. It's available to you all times. So that's, I guess that's probably one that a lot of people could relate to who's, who are trying to lose weight. <laughs> I think another example is that from the judgy one is, oh, you only lost this much weight this week, or, oh, you gained a pound this week. And it's like, so this, the judgment from the number on the scale, I think is a big one too. And I just really, this is a passion topic of mine. I know we're just about out of time, but I just really wanted to like hammer home the point that an obstacle is usually a thought. Like, I think we think of obstacles as something physical, um, like, like the example that you gave to just decline the invitation to happy hour. Like that's a pretty simple obstacle, but so often these obstacles are subconscious thoughts, um, that take a little bit more digging. So thank you so much for your time today, Tracy, where can people learn more about you and, um, maybe look at your programs or anything that you offer there? Yeah. Selfmadeu.com. So S E L F dash M A D E. And then the letter U Dot com That will get you to all of our social media accounts, lots of free coaching, lots of free resources. Um, the Mind Over Matter um, event, it's a three video series that really lays out the self-control operating system. Um, and I'm going to give you guys a 50% off coupon code. So it takes the $27 offer down to $13.50. And like I said, it's that tool that you can feel like you're pulling it out of your back pocket, no matter what the circumstance is. So highly recommend that resource as well. 
Perfect. And we'll put the coupon code maybe in the description for the episodes that work. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So if you guys want to check that out. Thank you so much. I really loved our conversation today. It was really great to meet you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. To learn more about Zibli, our online course and coaching program to reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention, check out our website at www.zibli.com. That's Z-I-V-L-I.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review on your listening platform and share it with a friend. I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.